Hi, I'm Charles Gauthier, President and CEO of the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association. The DVBA is so proud to support this daily podcast series that is helping our community navigate through these trying times. As we all settle into what we hope is a temporary new normal, please consider helping support our local businesses. Whether it's by getting takeout from your favorite restaurant or giving a local shop a great review, it all adds up. Thanks everyone and stay safe. I'm Haley Wooden with a short COVID news update before our regular and daily Coping with COVID-19 video from business in Vancouver. The first story I wanted to share is that applications for the Canada Emergency Response Benefit open today. That's $500 a week for up to 16 weeks for Canadians who have lost employment as a result of COVID-19. Starting today, Canadians who are born in the first three months of the year are able to apply. Application dates are staggered slightly throughout this week to avoid a site crash. And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau today said that Canada and the U.S. continue to have productive conversations about American medical mask exports. Last week, U.S. President Donald Trump invoked the Defense Production Act, which prevents U.S.-based 3M from exporting medical mask equipment to Canada. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks for watching and stay tuned for our video interview segment. You're watching Coping with COVID-19, BIV's daily video where we explore some of the business, economic, and social impacts of the current coronavirus crisis. My guest today, Mario Canseco, president at Research Co., who also does a lot of our polling here at Glacier Media. Mario, hope you're doing well, and thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure, Haley. Great to be here. So I understand you've been doing some work asking Canadians how they're coping with COVID, what they're doing, what they're feeling. And what really interests me is you were also in the field about 12 years ago asking similar questions of Canadians around the 2008-2009 global financial crisis. I'm curious to hear from you, what are some of the similarities and what are some of the big differences? Well, it was uh, really uh, shocking to look at the numbers of that survey that was conducted uh, right after the collapse of Lehman Brothers. So this is the the end of September 2008, people were starting to get worried about things. We had the U.S. election happening just a few months after that. And the level of concern from Canadians about the safety of their savings, the value of their investments back then, uh, was nowhere near where we see it now. And, and to me, that is quite uh, shocking in the sense that we had a situation where we were talking about this global financial crisis. The fact that the COVID-19 thing has been affecting our daily lives is making more Canadians be wary about what is going to be happening in the future, uh, but also more likely to believe that what we're going to be facing financially is going to be much worse than what we had back in 2008. Why do you think there's a big difference? Why are Canadians really feeling that this is going to be more economically and socially devastating now compared to what we went through more than a decade ago? Well, I think one of the reasons is uh, that it's everywhere. You know, we have a situation where uh, jobs are starting to be lost. Uh, there's a lot of uh, jobless claims in Canada and in the United States at this stage. Uh, back then, it was more about waiting for maybe two, three months for the businesses to make decisions about where they were going to call back, where they were going to ask you to work fewer days a week. Uh, we're starting to see that situation happening immediately after COVID-19 started to uh, essentially wreak havoc with the way we live. So 
And there's also the other situation, which is we can't really be distracted with other things. We don't have sports. We don't have movies outside of the home. Uh, we're stuck here and we keep having reminders of how this is going to be uh, essentially detrimental to the way we're living. So uh, there's also no way to know when this is all going to end. You know, we, we ask uh, many Canadians and some of them think we'll be fine by May. Some of them think we'll be fine by June but there's actually no way of actually knowing when life will go back to normal, whatever normal is. Exactly. I wonder if part of it too is that, at least in hindsight, looking back at 08, 09, Canada emerged from that relatively unscathed compared to other economies. And even from the get-go, it took a little while. We heard what was happening in China and then Italy and some other countries, but it hit us here and it hit us pretty hard in terms of the economic impact. So I wonder if it's inescapable in that sense. And it's pretty clear that we're not coming out of this unscathed. Well, what is interesting is we do see uh, roughly about one in five Canadians who believe that we're going to come out of this in a much better position than other countries. Uh, and most of the criticism right now, when you look at the G7, uh, there's obviously so many animosity towards China, but we do expect that the Canadian economy will do better. Uh, I think the one area uh, that, is that is definitely different is Italy. You know, we have more than half of Canadians who say we're going to emerge from this in a better situation. Obviously, Italy has uh, so many difficulties right now because of the way they've been handling things. Uh, so there's a little bit of that hope. Uh, but ultimately, I think part of it has to do with our own uh, money. You know, what is happening with your investments? Uh, to see the level of, of wariness from Canadians about that is definitely uh, something I was eye-catching. Uh, but also about the safety of the savings. You know, this isn't something that we considered that much back in 2008. It was more, well, if we face unemployment, how are we going to be handling this? Uh, there's many Canadians who are looking at their savings as something that is going to help them get by, uh, but there's no time frame. It's not a situation where in a couple of months we'll be fine and everything will be back to normal. This could go all the way to September or October, even with the government help. How worried would you say Canadians are about their jobs and about losing their savings, either through savings that were invested in markets that have been hit hard or by having to tap into those savings to just get by? It's definitely higher than what we saw uh, back in 2008. And I think it has a lot to do uh, with the way in which this crisis is getting uh, near us all, all the time. You know, there's somebody you know who has been affected, who, whose hours have been cut, who's working fewer days. There's contracts that aren't happening anymore, people who were supposed to call you for something and aren't calling you again. Uh, so that's definitely part of the problem. And what is interesting here is back in 2008, uh, there was a big difference. When you look at the level of, of uh, worry that we saw in British Columbia or in Ontario or in Quebec, uh, it was definitely uh, higher than what we saw in Alberta. This time around, because of all of the problems with the oil prices and the difficulties uh, getting that oil to market, uh, it's Alberta that is at the bottom of many of these ideas. They're more likely to believe that unemployment might, might hit their, their households, and they're also more worried about what is going to happen with the savings that they have. That's an interesting distinction, and I wonder if here in BC, something we may be more worried about than other Canadians might be housing, given the high cost of housing. What are you hearing on that front? Uh, you're absolutely right. The one part where British Columbia is uh, ahead of all other regions of Canada is in housing concerns. Uh, worrying about paying your mortgage or rent is definitely higher here than anywhere else. We've had situations related to housing, homelessness, poverty over the past three, four years. It's been the top municipal issue for a while in the Lower Mainland and the top issue provincially as well. 
So it's not a surprise that this is the one thing that is haunting us at this stage, it's not necessarily unemployment, even though the numbers are higher than they were back in 2008, but it's more about finding a way to meet those commitments that we have when it comes to the places where we live in. You mentioned that there are some Canadians you think will emerge from this better off than other economies. You mentioned Italy. That's a good example. I'm curious if Canadians are worried that we might see like our own housing crisis as a result of this, or we might see spin-off economic crises that were spurred by COVID. What are you hearing on that front? Well, there is a little bit of uh, concern about what is going to be happening with all of this. Uh, we do see a little bit of a welcome break when it comes to uh, the uh, fuel costs, for instance. You know, having gas as low as it is right now might make a lot of sense. But if nothing is, is really being sold, if you're not traveling that much, if you're not driving to places because of self-isolation, you're not really taking advantage of the situation. And, and more than anything, I think it has a lot to do with what is going to happen when those elements of the economy uh, don't function anymore? If you have a situation where you depend on a mortgage, somebody paying it, and you have to pay that rent, and you have to pay other things, uh, the level of response from the government has been changing every day. I think that's been also one of the problems here. You know, If you saw something that Justin Trudeau said on Thursday, it might be completely different by the time this uh, day is over. And I think that's one of the reasons for many Canadians to not be sure about what is happening around them. Uh, it's not as easy as if you can just say, well, we'll just fix this later, three months from now, uh, do some sort of tax break. Uh, but it's been confusing for many people because of the variety of the messages coming out of Ottawa. I imagine logistically from government's perspective, it's hard to coordinate that. I mean, in real time, they're developing programs that are completely new. The size of these programs are unprecedented. Do you think the Canadians are responding fairly well to the programs and benefits that have been put in place? I would say so. There's an understanding that this is definitely complex. Uh, you know, you look back at other uh, major government initiatives that usually take three or four months of research and implementation to happen. Uh, this is all being rolled out within days or weeks. So I think there's definitely a sense from many Canadians that they believe that this is in their best interest and they're giving the, the federal government the benefit of the doubt at this stage. Uh, the level of support for what the government is doing is higher than 60%, which is quite interesting given the fact that they were elected with only a third of the votes from those who cast ballots in the last election. So that speaks about a way of connecting with people who didn't vote for you. Other countries are not having the same type of situation. We don't see people who didn't vote for Donald Trump endorsing the way he's handling COVID-19, similar situation in other European countries and other Latin American countries. So I think there's a sense uh, from the Canadian population that uh, things are rough, uh, but there is definitely a level of support for what the government is doing that is not observed in other places. Is there any kind of research or previous polling we can rely on that addresses whether that um, those approval ratings in a time of crisis carry forward after the crisis has been addressed? Um, I, this is definitely uncharted territory. You know, going back to some of the uh, surveys that we've asked in moments uh, when you have a situation like this, uh, I would say, you know, the, the level of, of um, satisfaction with how the government handled the global financial crisis, and this was a minority government under Stephen Harper, uh, conservatives were more likely to say that they were happy with the way things were going, but we also see, uh, we also saw at the time people who voted for the NDP or the Liberals um, who were endorsing the way Harper was handling this. Now, it didn't necessarily materialize in a longer government. The, the, the following election, uh, they got their own majority government, the only one that they actually had back in 2011. So there's ways to use this 
to your advantage uh, if you are the one who was the steady hand. Uh, now, I think it'll be different in specific parts of the country. You know, I don't think we can see a, some sort of uniformity as far as every single provincial government doing well and all of the people within those areas uh, saying that they're satisfied. Uh, but it's the kind of thing that you don't forget. If there's a situation where there's cuts, where there's something uh, that wasn't handled very well, uh, you, are, you are going to be upset with the ones calling the shots. And I think that is going to vary. I, I don't think we'll be in a situation where if this continues two, three months, the numbers will be stable for everybody. One of the things you mentioned a couple minutes ago and you've written in your articles for Glacier Media is just the one of the key differences between now and 0809 is that this has impacted us socially. It's completely upended our lifestyles. I mean, you and I are speaking virtually. Normally we'd have you face to face in studio as an example. How are British Columbians and Canadians spending their time when you ask them about what they're doing in COVID-19 pandemic mode? Well, one of the things that I like about this is that there's a lot of variety to the way we're trying to keep our sanity. It's not only the electronics, it's not only the smartphones, there's a lot of attention to the news. And I think that is definitely uh, worth mentioning. Uh, many Canadians do not pay attention to the news unless there's an election happening. Uh, you usually have a level of, of uh, roughly a, somewhere between 40 and 50% of Canadians who are following the news uh, religiously, so to speak. Uh, that is now up to 61%. So there's definitely a lot of information that uh, many Canadians are seeking. Uh, but it doesn't mean that it's all they're doing. You know, we have uh, seen spikes in the number of uh, Canadians who say that they're reading books more often, that they're playing non-electronic games more often. Uh, and the one thing that really strikes me is uh, the one thing that we miss is the human contact. You know, being able to see your family in person, being able to see your friends in person, uh, technology helps us do that, but it's not uh, something that is going to make us feel completely better, especially now that we have certain uh, important occasions uh, coming up, such as Easter. You know, that is going to be the moment when many Canadians start to feel this more. Even if you do it virtually, it's not going to be the same. Absolutely. What have you learned about what we're doing around wellness and fitness at home? Well, uh, there's more Canadians who are saying that they are uh, exercising at, at home. Uh, British Columbia has traditionally been the fittest province, if you look at the way things are going uh, from uh, research. And, you know, I think we might be able to keep that uh, title in the next few weeks. Uh, there are certainly more British Columbians who are exercising at home more often than they used to before. Uh, there's also more British Columbians who are meditating, who are taking some time to try to take all of this in and try to figure out what is going to be happening. Uh, but I think one of the biggest difficulties has been having kids at home. Uh, we have 51% of Canadians who say it's been easy to coincide with their children, but there's 44% who say that it's been a struggle. If you're working from home, if you need to be able to uh, care for your kids and also make sure that you punch the clock, even if it's virtually, uh, it can lead to some difficulties. And there's no um, way to know how long this is going to last. You know, All of those deadlines that were set by the school boards have all gone by. So this might actually last longer than many people expected. Yeah, there's just so much uncertainty. It's really hard to know. I know one thing for me, I think I'm probably in touch more with family and friends than I otherwise would have been because everyone's checking up on everyone else, which is kind of a, a wonderful outcome of the situation that we're in. Do you think some of these behaviors, reading more, for example, uh, making an effort to get off screens less, will they last after COVID-19? Or do you think that we'll probably snap back to the routines we had before? Well, one of the things that is... Uh really interesting to look at right now is the effect that this is going to have on the way we work. 
the first two or three days might have been difficult, you know, trying to connect, trying to hold the meeting. Uh, we are going to be in a lot of uh, cost-cutting modes, uh, looking at specific industries. So I think the first casualty of this is going to be business travel. Uh, there is not going to be a need to get on a plane and to do something live when we know that you can do this virtually. So it's going to be one of those things that changes. And also, I think we'll see a lot of people who say, it, this was fine. I could work from home. I have everything that I required from a technological standpoint to be able to fulfill the duties that I'm being paid for. So we might see some more people who say, I want to work from home twice a week, maybe three days a week. Uh, it's also going to have a very uh, strong effect in, in the amount of uh, money that, it, that goes in renting places. So businesses are going to have big decisions to make as far as where they want to spend their money in an office when it was clear over the past few weeks that they maybe don't need to. Especially again in a place like British Columbia or Vancouver where those commercial leases are very, very high. Mario, a pleasure speaking with you again. Glad to hear you're doing well. Thanks for your time today. My pleasure. Anytime, Haley. That's Mario Canseco, president at Research Co. You can find his articles and writing at BIV.com and on our Glacier Media sites. Thanks so much for watching. We will be back with another video tomorrow.